You're listening to Q Marriage Mentors with Jeff Lutz, a podcast featuring conversations with remarkable lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender couples. What makes great relationships work? Jeff will ask the questions. You'll hear the answers. Together, we'll learn. Welcome back, everybody. Jeff here. And today I visited the home of Lisa Rogers and Maureen McLean, who live in Austin, Texas, and have been together for 36 years. Lisa is a social work professor who about 30 years ago had a vision for creating safe space for LGBTQ youth. So, along with the late J. Erwin Grotsky, she started a nonprofit called Out Youth, which continues to this day to make a huge impact in the lives of young people. Maureen is a Spanish translator and a courtroom interpreter who provided consistent and loving support behind the scenes during the time that Lisa was at the helm of Out Youth. They're also folk singers with a band known as the Therapy Sisters, and you're going to hear one of their songs at the end of this episode. It's full of wisdom about relationships and guaranteed to make you laugh. I hope you enjoy our conversation. 36 years. That's a long time. To be pelvic affiliates, yeah. To be pelvic affiliates. That's a very long time. But it's just one day at a time. You know, you wake up and, oh my goodness, another anniversary. Like any other addiction, one day at a time. (laughs) Well, how did you all meet all those years ago? It was through music. We were in different bands together. I would go watch Lisa's band, and and I couldn't take my eyes off of her. She was so talented and so funny and witty, and uh, finally... My Irish band and her women's music band played the same benefit. I think it was for Amnesty International. So we uh, met backstage, and I started my campaign of asking her out. Well, I couldn't figure out why this straight woman was stalking me, but she was very entertaining. And then she finally confessed, how did you put it? That you were stuck on me like, or you, uh, something about oatmeal. I don't know. You confessed oh, your love. Oh, I told you that I that I was so obsessed with you that I I spell out your name in raisins <laughs> on my oatmeal every morning. Oh wow! Then so, you knew I had truly fallen. And then I thought, okay, she is stalking me. <laughs> now was that here in Austin? That was here in Austin. Okay. Yeah. But living in Austin, it was a very it was much safer than well, living in any other city in Texas. A for really sure. exciting women's community then in terms of music and politics, and it was easy to sort of become a part of that. There were a number of big women's music festivals here, and Mm -hmm. um, that was another hub for meeting people. Yeah. So, Maureen, you kept asking Lisa out or trying to get the first date. How did the first date go? I was finally um, successful when I was house-sitting at a mansion in Oak Hill. It's like, this has got to be my big chance to, to serve her dinner in this big mansion. And and I, I got her to say yes. I had tickets to the symphony from the people who were out of town and left, left me their symphony tickets. I picked her up in this long white Cadillac. <laughs> everything the opposite. I lived in a little hovel and drove a Volkswagen, you know. But, but I took her out to this luxury date. And um, anyway, it was it was great. But I loved your hovel. She lived in a, a little tiny garage apartment by Eastside Park and with a 
a bed about this. It was like a, the size of a crib and no other furniture. And you open the refrigerator and all that's in there was a thing of yogurt. I mean, she was she was a grad student, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was a strange beginning. And did it take a while to warm up to each other? Or did you know kind of right away this, this has potential? We dated for a little while. Yeah. I had broken up pretty recently and my dad had died. So it was a, a, a rough time for me in some ways. And but I I had, you know, had relationships and friendships and all of this, but when I met Lisa I knew that this is what I wanted. I like honed in like a missile and she is what I wanted, who I wanted, and I think I was very persistent. How did you know? I just I just felt a connection. I think the musical bond was real strong. The fact that we um, both loved music and comedy. Um, we had similar family backgrounds in that I was raised Catholic. She was raised Episcopal. So we had a lot of values in common that way. Five kids in my family, six kids in her family. So we knew how to share. So that was good. And educationally, there were similarities. <clears throat> Both dog people, um, lovers of music and of language, which was two strong bonds. Music and language. Yeah. How, Sound and meaning. So you, you <laughs> met in separate bands, but how long did it take before you started putting your music together? Uh, one of the bands I was in broke up, and I was really sad about that, and I decided to form a new band with... Um, Gail Lewis, a member of that former band. So she and I got together, and we got a gig out at the Midget Cafe in Taylor. And Midget Cafe. We played there the night they closed. <laughs> Shut <laughs> it down. Their final night. So we played there, and we had so much fun. We came back, okay, let's do it again. That was not the only club the Therapy Sisters shut down, but That's right. another story. One of the first. But, yeah. you know, with a powerhouse guitar player like Lisa Rogers, we're like, we got to get Lisa in this band, too, and we formed a trio. And we stand there, and we're each of us holding a guitar, and I'm thinking, three <laughs> guitars is too many. So I put the guitar down because that was I was not as good a player as either of them and I just picked up the bass four strings how hard can it be and so I started playing the bass way back when and we just focused on harmonies clever lyrics writing songs about anything and picked therapy as our theme the therapy sisters because it was therapy for us to rehearse and arrange the songs and get over the previous band breakups <laughs> um and, and, really, and we were off to the races. It really took off, right? I mean, I remember uh, how popular you guys are and were and uh, how much you traveled and how many gigs you did. So were you surprised by that, that it really sort of skyrocketed? No, no I, I, again, it was coming, uh, we were a part of that awesome women's music scene. And it was, you know, and so it was not a surprise. It was we just kind of became a part of that, and but it, I think it was it an intersection of the women's music scene and the folk scene. Yeah, because we did Kerrville, yeah. and we had, you know, we have we have fans. One thing that we've always enjoyed is that we have fans of all ages, of older people and kids. We'll have kids dance into our music that they just like the beat, and uh, people who like humor appreciate the lyrics, um, and. People who like 
you know, music like the the breaks. I, I don't know. I think we just have elements that people enjoy. Yeah, in the shows. So, so one of the ways that I know <clears throat> that we're going to grow even older together is that we we toured, and so we're together twenty four seven, and and didn't get divorced, and still enjoy. I, I still wake up every day to hear what she's going to say, because nine times out of ten it's going to make me laugh, <laughs> and um, and and so so that let me know that we were going to make it through the the inevitable times of like can this marriage be saved you know laughter has been really important really important both on stage and in your personal life yeah yes yeah yeah definitely for you too Mark. uh-huh yeah and also um a series of excellent therapists have been important to our relationship we've we've gone to therapy when things got rough and I, I guess I always think better to fix the relationship you have than to start over with some idiot you haven't broken in yet, you know. <laughs> so why not just fix this one? We've come so far. So we have gone to therapy with, with various different therapists and with their facilitation and some effort on our part, for sure. We've A little bit. Gotten over, <laughs> gotten over some humps that way. Shout out to Joanna Labo, who who I think saved us. And uh, for a number of years after uh, we quit, quit seeing Joanna, I would give her, send her flowers on our anniversary because she, she made such a difference. Um, and and it, the, the, it was a turning point for me because somehow I, it was like this um, reframing, this like shift uh, for me in understanding that um, prior to that time when, when we would have a fight, um, I, I, you know, the voices would be like, this is it, you know, we can't fix this, this is irreconcilable differences. And after that, somehow I was like, we've endured all these things. We know we can, so we need to at least try because there's, this is not necessarily terminal. There was a voice that said, well, somehow we'll get through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- because I knew we had and we could. Mm-hmm. And so there was no reason to think that we couldn't because I had all that experience of, 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 yes, this marriage can be saved. Somehow this marriage was saved, you know, so, so it can be saved. That's a great point. What would you say to newer couples or younger couples who maybe have that internal reaction of, uh, this is done, I'm out of here? When they have a conflict that feels really intense, how how can couples get through those times? I I watch what I'm thinking, and if I'm um, fantasizing about oh we're gonna break up and then I'll be tragic and lonely and all that, <laughs> I see myself going down that road. I say no, stop, turn it the other way around. No, we're not gonna break up. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna be successful. We love each other. I force myself to think the opposite of those tragic paintings, you know, and see a good outcome. It just helps me to to think of then to generate ways that we can help the relationship to stay together. But yeah, but I think it's also important to look at on balance. What is it? You know, has there been enough more good than bad that you think it's worth working on the good? Some days, Maureen reads my mind. 
And, and I think, oh, well, of course, she's an interpreter. And other days I'm like, isn't she an interpreter? Can't she understand what the hell I'm trying to say? Why isn't she reading my mind? Why isn't she reading my <laughs> mind? Well, how could she not understand me? And so those days I, I have to um, remember that part, part of the, the, that is part of what makes it interesting. That I, she can't always read my mind. And I, and I have to learn to use my words. And I and and try to understand what she's saying, and that that it's it's not as it's not simple, and that's part of what makes it worthwhile and interesting, is that nothing really you know worthwhile is ever all that easy. Well, you mentioned therapy. Uh, can you talk about were were there ever times that you thought, uh, oh, this might be it? Oh and yeah, there were. And oh yeah. What were the were there particular issues or events? that were happening that sort of brought you to that critical point? Um, that time Feel, I was depressed. When, when you were depressed and when I was feeling unhappy and just would wake up thinking, is this the way I want to keep waking up? This is, no, something needs to change. And just that feeling of something needs to change. Where can we get some help to facilitate this change? Because we haven't been able to do it with just the two of us. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So depression really was challenging for a while. Yeah, there was um, there was a time when when you were depressed for like several years, well, grieving a huge loss, and and my depression was uh, wasn't situational. It was just uh, it was just this crazy acute case that just came over me, and I couldn't point to anything. And I, again, what can I change? Obviously, this is the biggest thing in my life right here. So obviously, I need to change that. Yeah. And that's when we went to Joanna, and and I, um, I, I she wouldn't see us unless we both required we we both committed to working instead of going instead of kind of one foot out the door. And so, all right, all right, all right. So, got it. Well, tell me about others in your life over the years. How important have family and friends been in kind of creating an environment that held you up and supported you or did was it a threat and a challenge um all my family members live in other towns and in a way in a way that was nice because we didn't have to look at those relationships or deal with them very often just at holidays you know um but i i think that bandmates have been surrogate family members because we meet so often and rehearse and we're on stage together and um, those are some of the closest people that I've turned to through through the years um, as friends like and first yeah, yeah yeah and, and we and that we would celebrate her family's always together. been supportive of me welcoming me <clears throat> for some strange reason I don't know why because they're all pretty Catholic whereas my family, has only really one of the six kids who've been supportive from the get-go, really. And others are still six. praying for me, you know, that I'll, really, you know, get married and have kids or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And <clears throat> my mom, um, a huge turning point for me was when I sat down with her. Um, I think out youth might have made a huge difference in my um, ability to sit down with my mom and say, Mom, we have to talk. 
because otherwise one of us is going to die and we're not going to be able to afford to go to therapy and deal with not having process the fact that you have this queer daughter and 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 she um it was really tough for her and she like grabbed the tissues and she was ready all right okay she was like okay okay talk and <laughs> she could barely stand she could it. barely stand it by the end of the talk she'd put down the tissues and she was like okay you and maureen can come for thanksgiving but you can't spend the night <laughs> <laughs> and within about a year she was inviting us both to come visit her in mexico and 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 she just came around and it was just so nice um, and and really was another huge shift for me in, in sort of way. In how I was in the world, feeling you know that I've got that that um, my sister who supports me um, said, "Don't worry about your siblings who are praying that you'll change because God knows what to do with those prayers. Just just let it be okay and just thank them for praying for you instead of like, how dare you, you know." Because they weren't thinking I was going to hell. They just were praying that I would be healed. Be healed. So, um, so, the, so coming from that, the whole experience at Out Youth was incredibly healing. It was this corrective emotional experience. You want to say, talk, what, talk about Out Youth, because our listeners are pro- not probably not familiar with the organization that so, you co-founded. Okay, so I was in social work school and Discover in the, when did I do that? Late 80s and discovered that there were queer youth groups in other parts of the country, um, and but not here. And so by the time I graduated, um, I had written all my papers for school on the subject of queer youth, and one of my professors had told a friend who was a therapist who told one of his clients who was a teenager, and the teenager called me and said, I hear you have a support group, and I said no, and he said, well, let's start one or whatever. And so the next thing I know, we're having kids over in our living room and volunteers, a fellow um, student in, in social work school, and I started um, started out youth. It was about the same time that the therapy sisters were really skyrocketing too, right? Well, it, it was an exciting time. It was a very exciting time. Um, but it was a, it was a profoundly... Uh, healing time for me personally and to be able to be a part of that for so many other young people and to this day to have young people uh, see me as a part of their extended family is is really really wonderful I just the other day I helped a young man move who um, came out who's a, a trans man who, who came to out youth and um, and I was at uh, um, Eastside cafe and and our Waitron comes over and says, you don't remember me, do you? Uh, no. Well, I was, and then whatever their name was when she came to Out Youth and is now another name and is dating a social work student. And so there's just this wonderful, continually extended family of queer people that I just love. I, I still, to this day, have clients in their late 30s, early 40s who disclosed that um, they were part of Out Youth and this wonderful woman named Lisa Rogers that saved their life. And- Social workers say we practice from our scars, not our wounds. And, and in hindsight, I can um, confess that I was still bleeding at the time, but was, you know, healing up pretty quick. So, A lot of us were back then. A right? lot of it us was were. The, yeah. It was the AIDS epidemic. And, yes. Yeah. And... 
not nearly as much social support as we have no. today. Mm. And Maureen was very patient through all of that. What, yeah, mm. what was it like for you to be, you weren't really behind the scenes, I remember you were actively involved, but supporting Lisa as the person on the forefront without you? Um, I don't know that I did a lot other than just be patient with a lot of absences because it took a lot of hours you know she was gone a lot yeah yeah and but then by the same token my job takes a lot of hours for me so um i think one thing we've noticed about our relationship is that we each of us has a job that's sort of consuming and so we don't have regular rhythms in our life but we do have to get out our calendars and make times to get together in our life yeah. Um, and that's become an essential tool to make sure we stay in touch because um, I could be in court or in conference and weekends or other interpreting activities and weeknights. I think a really significant thing that we that that is worth pointing out is that in that when we first got together, um, you were insecure and a little clingy. And I was gone a lot, and so that that sort of fed into your, some of your insecurity. That's true. And I think today we are both really secure in our relationship and in our careers. And so I think that really uh, that's, that just feels so much more healthy than kind of where mm-hmm. it came from, which is another kind of. It's an evolution. It is an evolution. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's one that you kind of don't think about when you're new and wondering, kind of, how is this going to work? So, um, yeah, I'm hearing you talk about how you kind of moved towards more secure attachment. Mm-hmm. And, and what was it? Just like you were talking about earlier, Lisa, that realizing that we've gone through some pretty hard stuff and we're still together? Was that? Partly. Um, also, f- uh, just feeling more at home with myself. And bringing that to the relationship, I think, helped. In terms of your sexual identity or in that, other ways? Oh, I went through a really hard time when I uh, lost my job and, so, and realized so much of my identity was around that. And who am I and what am I doing and what am I done here? Um, and also, I think um, Maureen's coming out on the other side of that incredibly long and deep period of grief. Um, there was the the death of a little child that we were helping to raise. She was killed by a drunk driver, and that was a big blow oh, to us for, for a long time. Yeah, um, another tough time we came through was when Lisa was diagnosed with uh, an acoustic neuroma, which is a tumor in her ear, and she faced a, a serious surgery that they had to go through the cochlea to reach the tumor. So she lost all use of her right ear, and yet is still continuing on as a musician and uh, so we're we faced um, all of that together and yeah. came out on the other side how did you do that are you kidding I was lifted up by millions of people who supported me and loved me and oh it was an amazing experience I would give up my other ear for that no, I mean, no you would not you would not it was incredible so tell me a little bit about as musicians and also um, uh, and you're a married couple. You got married. We in yeah. So that's kind of interesting. When we got together, Maureen said, "Let's get married," and I was like, uh, "No, 
we just got together. Hello. If we do anything, it should be not a commitment, but an intentment, because I want to do this one day at a time thing. Plus, she said, oh, and I'm going to go to Mexico to teach for a year. Uh, and I want to I want to be married to you while I'm gone. I'm like, uh, no, maybe when you get back, we'll talk. So when she got back, we had a intentment, a, a potluck with friends, which we kind of considered our first commitment ceremony. We jumped over the broomstick, the broom as the slaves do, you know. Ten so years, although... The kind of uh, holy union ceremonies that we had to do before we had marriage right. equality. Yeah. yeah. So then ten years later, we had a we re-upped. And then ten years later, we re-upped, and then when we when we went to potluck to potluck, you know, <laughs> we didn't do the wedding planner and the thousands of dollars and all that. No. Then we were playing in in Provincetown when we could go to Vermont. Uh, yeah, Vermont and get a civil union. So we did that, and then a few years later, we were touring when we could get married in Massachusetts, and happily. Uh, my niece came with her husband and kids. My nephew came with husband and kids. So that was really, really nice. We played a house concert. We actually played our own wedding. That's what it was. And then the the, the gals who were hosting it um, had a, a JP come, and they hired somebody to make the lesbian cake in Northampton. Oh, it was like Northampton. So it was it was ah. just great. So we, um, yeah, so it's official. Did it feel like it made much difference emotionally, mentally, to actually financially. be, to be <laughs> Insurance. She's on my insurance. Financially, yes. All of the other things, it, I felt official since the first jumping over the broomstick potluck. That felt, you know, we made our promises and we're still keeping them. So, But, you know, I'm so grateful to the Supreme Court for um, letting us have the legal privileges because that makes a huge difference in our life. Yeah. Well, um, with everything that you've been through as a couple and as musicians working so closely together, what would you say to other couples? What advice would you give them? You kind of had to boil it down to a couple of things. I think treasure what you have. Think about the good things about what you have and focus on those and they will multiply. That's what I think. Humor. Uh, find stuff that you enjoy together. Have spaces in your togetherness. How can I miss you if you won't go away? But for me, for me, anybody out there who's like me, you need to practice waking up and saying good morning before you complain about something. Oh, it's such a bad habit. Lisa has a song called Four Little Words. And I've always said those, those words would make a good tattoo. And it's relationship <laughs> advice. Those four words are, I'm sorry, you're right. <laughs> Lisa and Maureen, it's been such a pleasure to hear your story. Let's close today by listening to that song. Here's Four Little Words by the Therapy Sisters. Sometimes without meaning to, you hurt the one you love. And sometimes you know it's no accident at all When you come to your senses and wanna mend fences Here's a tip I hope you will recall If from time to time you too should find yourself at odds And you think God should help your sweetheart see the light 
I guarantee you'll get results from these few simple, almost foolproof words. I'm sorry, and you're right. Four little words can bring so much clarity and keep you from a lonely, sleepless night. That's right, just four little words spoken with sincerity. I'm sorry, you're right. You say you think you're beyond the help of a shrink And though you fight, you can't quite remember why Before you call it quits Make good and sure you've given it that one last pride Swallow and try With those four little words Overcome your temerity And they'll keep you from a lonely, sleepless night that's right, just four little words Spoken with sincerity I'm sorry, you're right Now I don't know about your S.O. But there's nothing mine would rather hear And if I'm in the doghouse really bad I'll probably add a couple more like Yes, dear, after you've blown up, who's gonna be the grown-up? That's the hardest part of love to learn. Here's a new idea, what if you and she do? You're making up by taking turns, saying those four little words. Now that's true pouty parody, and it'll keep you from a lonely, sleepless night. One, two, three, four little words used with regularity. I'm sorry, you're right. When faced with a chill, it takes an act of will, and that can be the toughest of chores. But if you can't say all four, try the first two, and I'm almost sure the heart that starts melting might be yours. If you use four little words, why are they such a rarity when they'll keep you from a lonely, sleepless night? What's more, those four little words will increase your popularity. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm so very sorry. Yes, dear, you're right. Mm, you're right. You know you're right. What was that? I couldn't quite hear you. You're right.